Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to the People Power Politics Podcast, brought to you by CEDAR, the Center for Elections, Democracy, Accountability, and Representation at the University of Birmingham. Hi, my name is Manuel Guerke. I'm a research fellow at CEDAR, and I'm going to be your host for this episode. It is my great pleasure to welcome Patricia Correa, Patricia Correa is a senior lecturer of politics at Aston University and an expert on political parties and Spanish politics. We're going to discuss her insights concerning the recent elections in Spain. Thank you very much for joining us, Patricia. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be talking to you about Spanish politics today. The last decade has been a challenging period for the left and center-left in Europe. Most countries are currently governed by parties from the center-right and far-right. Spain, where Pedro Sánchez from the Socialist Party has been the prime minister since 2018, is one of the most important exceptions. Unlike most predictions and despite resounding victory of the right in the regional and local elections in May of this year, Pedro Sánchez's big gamble to call for snap elections appears to have paid off. Patricia, what factors contributed to Pedro Sánchez's political resilience? Well, I think it's important to point out first that this was the first Spanish coalition government at the national level since the Republic times. So this was already a completely different period of time in terms of politics of what we used to in Spanish politics. But uh, I'll say that things have changed, but not so much as we might think at first glance. So something, for instance, that is interesting to point out is the fact that the level of turnout hasn't changed that much. And that what we are observing is that the changes are happening within political blocs and not so much between blocs. So that definitely helps Pedro Sanchez, the fact that whatever is happening is happening within the left. And that's what he needs to worry the most. When we observe the results of the last elections, so first of all, everyone was surprised about the snap election. Nobody saw it coming. We knew that we were going to have national elections this year, but we didn't expect that they were going to be that soon. But what we observe here now comparing the regional elections is the fact that even though everything pointed out the Socialist Party was going to perform quite poorly or much worse than in the past, they managed to get around 28% of the votes, which was a similar percentage of what they got in 2019 when they managed to form the national government. So that already points to the fact that even though the Socialist Party has decreased support, and this is nothing of what they managed to get in the 80s, right? But it's still, it is quite resilient. So they have managed to keep some electoral base quite stable. Not what they probably want to, so not as much as they would like, but at least something that is quite stable. And in these new elections, maybe because there was this climate of fear about the access of books to the institutions, they not only managed to keep that base mobilized, but also to improve a couple of percentage points. So they did quite well. But everyone thought, because the reading of the regional elections was that the socialists were losing the control of a lot of relevant regions and regions that have been paramount to explain the success or the survival of Pedro Sanchez. But nonetheless, the electoral base was there and we don't observe that much changes. So that is something that could explain first Pedro Sanchez's decision to call for a snap election before things went wrongly or became worse. 
And second, the fact that they have done much better than expected. The other part of the equation, I will say, is to look at what's going on in the right wing of the spectrum in Spain. So you have, by calling for them to stop election, they didn't allow Pepe to enjoy this momentum. When they were just winning, they have managed to gain control of a lot of regions. They have increased the regional power and their electoral support. But by calling so fast for a snap election, they didn't allow them to enjoy this moment and they had to go into campaign mode again. And we see that the right side is growing, but not as much as they need to. They had very high expectations about how well they were going to do in these elections. And in the end, the results are not that good for them. And Vox managed to keep their 3 million voters. So they managed to keep their position, which is quite good for them. But it also shows that maybe that's as much as they can grow. There was this fear that they were going to get as good results as they had in the in 2019, but they have lost, I think it's around 10 seats. So it also shows you limitations about how much the right wing can expand. So we are observing that the right side of the spectrum has grown, but is not expanding that much. And what is going on is that the left wing is shrinking a little bit, but not enough to not be in a position as we are right now, in which maybe there could be a repetition of the government. And then we also have Sumar, this new formation that came up from Podemos and United Left and then a lot of other regional parties or regional branches of formations, because there is a little bit of everything within the Sumar platform that they have managed to carve the decline of Podemos. They have managed to keep these 3 million voters because in the regional elections were not that positive for this group of political parties or these formations. But then with the new name, with the new Sumar platform, they have managed to at least hold 3 million and stop this declining trend that Podemos was observing. That's fascinating. So the left-wing coalition, by strategically calling for snap elections, catching others off guard and focusing on regaining or maintaining their vote base, successfully prevented a complete shift to the right. What was the impact of the electoral campaign and how did the two main candidates, the incumbent Sanchez and the challenger Feijó, perform? I think something that I found quite interesting from the campaign was, for instance, that the socialists did quite well. So Pedro Sanchez was very good in the campaign. They, he had like several appearances in the media, mainstream media from both sides. Well, or those that will be more sympathetic towards the left, but also those that were more sympathetic towards the right. And he did quite well. I think that the first debate was not very good. But if you keep that away, the rest of the campaign was quite positive. He got the support of Zapatero, the former president of Spain, who was really active in the elections, and that hadn't been the case in other elections. So that was also an interesting and positive surprise for the candidate. And maybe the expectations about what Feijó could do for the PP, the Spanish People's Party, were too high. I think because both parties had been under a lot of turmoil, there were a lot of expectations about what Feijó meant and they were expecting going back to the old times and to the former success of PP. And I think he just didn't meet the expectations. His performance during the campaign 
was not as good as maybe he would have needed to be to manage to attract those voters that went to box a few years ago and haven't come back. I will say that all in all, that helps to understand the resilience of Pedro Sanchez. He ended up competing in an environment in which several factors, maybe indirectly, helped him to keep this position. That's very interesting. So if we talk about also like in terms of performance in government, in what domains would you say that the government led by Pedro Sanchez managed to deliver and it, why, what domains did it fail to achieve its promises? I think the the big success of this government is that they managed to last four years because nobody thought that was going to happen. It was the first coalition government at the national level. We don't have experience on that. So there are a lot of coalitions at the regional level, but we don't have the experience for it at the national level. I remember when in 2019, when we had the elections and then when they fought the government and from 2020, nobody thought this was going to last. They thought the level of confrontation between PSOE and Podemos was going to be so high that at some point it was just going to implode. But that hasn't happened. So I think that's the big success of this government is that, first of all, it lasted. And then they had they had some winnings when it comes to some of the policies that they have managed to approve, at least during this government. I had a look yesterday out of curiosity because something that the Spanish government has been doing as a way of transparency is just to keep a record of all the agreements that they have passed or that they have translated into policies during their government. And this is in the official website of Moncloa, of the government. And by December 22, which is the last time that they uploaded a document, they had already managed to implement 70% of the agreements of the coalition between Podemos and the socialists. So that's already a lot. Right. And that probably also helps explaining why the coalition has lasted that because to some extent they were doing what they agreed to do at the beginning. And they had some interesting successes are the labor reforms that they managed to get the agreement between the business associations and the trade unions. And they agreed to change the pensions. They also got an agreement in terms of all these casual works to reduce the, these temporary contracts which are quite common in Spain or were quite common. And they also managed to increase the minimum salary. So they had some reforms that were quite successful in labor and that they brought together the business associations, which often are more supported of right-wing parties, but they managed to get an agreement with trade unions under the umbrella of the left-wing coalition. That was positive. The management of the COVID pandemic crisis has been quite successful, and especially when it comes to the economic side effects of the pandemic and now the Ukrainian war. The government implemented a lot of like economic packages to support companies, small, middle companies. They have also, in terms of the energy prices, and, and that's an interesting comparison with what we have been living here in the UK. So they managed to get this kind of like the Iberian exception. And that was in agreement with the European Union to a point that they established a cap 
of how expensive electricity bills could get. So they, they put a cap on the electricity prices. They have also subsidized part of the petrol cost. So when you need petrol for your car, one part was paid by the government, the other part was paid by the consumer. So they have introduced several measures, economic measures that have helped palliate or mitigate the effects of the pandemic and the Ukrainian war. So those were clear successes, I will say, from the government. And then I wouldn't say failures, but measures that created a lot of noise and problems were, for instance, the agreements to deal with the Catalan conflict and to change secession laws. That created a lot of noise at the moment. And it still comes back from time to time, especially in some regions of Spain. They might use this as part of the discourse against the left-wing coalition. But to be fair, in the past couple of years, I'll say, it hasn't been an issue. So for some time, we stopped talking when it came to national politics about the Catalan independence. The Catalan independence that had controlled the discourse or the public opinion for, I don't know how many times, but they were always there. After the secession, after all of the independentist leaders went out of prison, after some point, the debate was silenced or not as noisy as it was before. So some ones might say that was a success, others still consider a failure because the legislation changed, right? And then another policy that created a lot of issues and problems and also some issues within the coalition between Podemos and PSOE was the the La Ley CSE, which is like the law, yes is yes, that has to do with women violence and against uh, harassment or abuse against women, right? So that one created a lot of issues because one of the aspects within the law was that they were going to remove the harassment. So they were going to remove that part and and name it differently to convert it in kind of like that was a sexual aggression. So then I think the abuse or harassment word, I don't remember exactly the terms, it was not going to be included in the law anymore. And that had as a side effect that some of the sentence of people that were already in prison had to be changed and some went out of prison earlier than expected. So it was more about the implementation of that law that generated some backlash. And that has been one of the core issues or conflicts within the coalition that could have damaged the government. And that created a lot of rejection within the right-wing parties or even within some feminist groups. The same was about the trans law and the euthanasia law that they created noise. But the, this last two, I'm not sure to what point they can be considered as a failure or that they that we could use them to explain maybe the government not performing as well as one might think. But those be the, the ones that come to my mind as the ones that have defined to some extent what has happened in the coalition government. Something else that calls attention when looking at the recent elections in Spain is that in contrast to trends seen in other countries where challenging parties have gained prominence, such as the victory of Fratelli d'Italia in Italy last year, in Spain, the elections witnessed the reinforcement of two established parties, especially when comparing them to the two preceding national elections. How did the traditional parties adapt their strategies to react to challengers both on the right and the left of the political spectrum, as well as that coming from regional parties? So it is true that things have changed a lot in Spain 
we, we had a party system in which the two main parties, socialist and the Spanish People's Party, were dominating the situation to this multi-party system in which now we need coalitions. So the whole set of rules of the game have changed, and that also forces parties to adapt to survive. The rules are not the same anymore, so you cannot keep acting as you were 10, 15 years ago, because otherwise you risk disappearing. So I think both traditional parties have been forced to change the way that they operate and to adapt to these new challenges, both on the left and in the right. I will say that some of the key changes that we can observe are linked to leadership. So we have new leaders in both main political parties. We have also changes in the discourse and organizational changes. So when it comes to the socialists, they went into a lot of internal turmoil. We might not remember it right now, but Pedro Sanchez's leadership has been questioned a lot within the Spanish Socialist Party. I will say there are still some sections, some members of the party that are not really sympathetic to Sanchez, but his resilience has been proven, so I'm not sure he's going anyway anytime soon. And, and Sanchez faced a lot of uh, resistance within the party, but he managed to succeed. He managed to win the members' vote and become the general secretary and the, lead, the party leader. So we observed that, and that was in response to some extent to new parties on the left. I don't think we could expect a leader such as Pedro Sanchez without the existence of new parties, new challenges parties such as Podemos. And then on the side of the PP, when it comes to the party leader, so they had Pablo Casado that was forced to resign. And now they have Feijó, who has won the elections, but won probably govern at the national level, so to some extent has failed. And we'll see what happens now, because the regional leader in Madrid, Ayuso, it's quite strong and getting more and more popularity. So the PP is still adapting when it comes to leadership and also when it comes to the discourse to these new challenges. I think that the socialists have managed to succeed in co-opting some of the issues that Podemos brought to the debate. So when it comes to equality, they have been really adamant in trying to improve equality and women representation. The government coalition had parity in terms of male and female members. And that was part of the agenda. So women rights were part of the agenda of Podemos that now you cannot distinguish who is doing that anymore. When you think about it, you think about left wing and you think about the coalition, not necessarily one of the parties. And everything that has to do with welfare, state, social rights, they have already been quite active in trying to co-opt those issues. So they have adapted the discourse to focus more in this kind of like new politics issues and maybe leave aside more traditional economic issues of the left. And when it comes to the PP, to the Spanish People's Party, they have also adapted their discourse. They have made more dominant this anti-Sanchez rhetoric and everything that has to do with the left coalition. But also they are talking more and more about national identity. And that's part of the rhetoric or part of the discourse that comes from Vox and that they are trying to capitalize. For instance, 
something that I didn't expect it was that ETA, the former terrorist group, was going to be one of the topics in the electoral campaign. That is something that I thought as a society we had moved on, but apparently not. So you can see a change in the discourses trying to attract and mobilize the voters from those new parties. And then in terms of organization, there has been a lot of changes within the parties. And I'm actually working on that. That I find very interesting because you see how parties on the left are becoming more similar organizationally and parties on the right are becoming more similar organizationally. So it seems that they are copying each other. So the parties on the left have tried to increase the level of influence of party members. So at the beginning, Podemos was an example of the maximum level of member influence. And then the socialists started to change some of the procedures or incorporating more procedures, but up to certain point, because obviously when you have institutions you want to give voice to the members, but you also know how problematic that can be at some points. So Podemos has reduced the level of influence members used to have a little bit, so their organizations are becoming more similar. And something is happening also in the right. So Pepe changed. I've been talking a lot about books, but Pepe has also changed thinking about Ciudadanos. It's funny how fast we forget about some of the parties, but something that Pepe copied or was influenced or maybe had incentives to change was that they have included a sort of primary system to to give more voice to the members. And that is in response of these new parties criticizing the old way of doing politics in traditional parties. So this contagion in terms of discourse and in terms of organization. And I think that's what has helped mainstream parties to adapt to these new challenges. And especially, as you mentioned, to retain the relevance. Because in comparison to other European countries, mainstream parties are still dominating or are the ones getting the highest levels of support. And there is an important difference in terms of votes between the mainstream parties and what other new challenger parties are getting. This is really fascinating how they're changing their strategies. So do you think that the threat of having Vox, a far-right party in government, also helped to keep the coalition of the left together and also thinking about like how they actually, during the elections, seem to be forming a kind of an electoral alliance against the right? Do you think that might have helped especially in the last year where they had a lot of incentives to compete for votes among themselves, right, between the parties on the left. Do you think that in terms of institutional challenges that Vox posed? If we think about parties, and I'm thinking about what left-wing parties were able to afford or what they can afford, because they need to join forces to repeat the coalition. That also explains why the coalition lasted, because nobody can afford on the left to be the one that allow Vox to get into the institutions, because how can you build on it later on? How can you go on an electoral campaign saying because we didn't support the socialists or because we didn't agree to form a coalition with Sumar or Podemos, Vox and PP are now governing at the national level. So the fear of Vox access 
seen national government has played a role in how the campaign went. It was in the second debate, because the first electoral debate was only between Pedro Sánchez and Feijó, the candidates of the main two parties. But the second debate was between Pedro Sánchez, Yolanda Díaz, the candidate for Sumar, and Santiago Abascal, the candidate of Vox. Feijó didn't agree on participating, so he was not present in that one. And it was curious to see the dynamics and how sympathetic and friendly Yolanda Díaz and Pedro Sánchez were, and they were trying to show to the voters that we're going to do this again. And we are one side and Vox is another. And if Pepe decides to go with Vox, then they are part of the other side. And I think it's also very early to break that fear because even though Pepe and Vox have agreed on coalitions at the regional level in several regions, that has just happened, right? So we know they are there, but we haven't yet seen what they can do once they are in the institutions. And and that also poses two risks, because one is that, okay, maybe they manage to get the institutions, they get uh, government responsibilities at the regional level, but if they don't do any damage or what maybe left voters might consider as damage, that will normalize the presence of Vox. So that fear can no longer work. It all depends how do they perform. And for that, PP will be key and how much they allow them to do or not. So I think it's important how this fear of the presence of bugs played. And more thinking about the voters, and this is just anecdotal evidence because I don't have the data, but just thinking about my friends. And I have some friends that are left-wing, and I have also friends that will be a bit more conservative. All of them were a bit worried about what could being in the institutions or being at the national level could mean. So that's still playing a role both at party level, we'll say, but also at the meso level, but also at the individual level. But it's still early to tell. I think Vox voters are more ideological. So I imagine that also if if Vox doesn't perform as they expected, things could change in the future. So yes, I think it played a role, but I think it's still early to tell how that is going to play in the long term. Are there other novelties and things that are happening in Spanish politics and society that the world should be paying attention to? Well, I think, first of all, if you are a fan of elections, Spain is the country to look at because we just keep having and having elections. But uh, I think it depends on the topic. And I'll talk about the ones that I work on because those are the ones that I know a bit more or I'm a bit more passionate about. But I think when it comes to party activism, we observe these trends in Europe in which the level of activism in political parties was decreasing. Most parties were losing members and also losing activists. But Spain is one of the few countries that didn't experience the same trend. It's interesting. So in an article that I have with my colleagues, Juan Rodriguez from the University of Valencia and Oscar Barbera from the University of Valencia too, we observed that during the Great Recession, that helped Spanish parties to recruit more activists. And maybe that was because of the the emergence of Podemos and other new parties that they managed to attract new members, but they stopped this declining trend of people not wanting to be active in political parties. And that is also interesting if we think about youth and the younger population, if we think about young members, because we keep listening. And I'm particularly worried about the fact that young individuals don't seem to be interested in formal ways of political participation, and especially in enrolling in 
political parties and being active because, well, I still think that parties are key actors in our democracies and we need them and, and they are at risk if they don't manage to get new members, especially. And for that, you need to attract the youngest, right? But both Podemos and Vox have managed to attract young members. It may be worth checking what are these political parties doing to attract young members and make them more inclined to be active with them. It will be interesting to see what the party youth wings are doing, if they have any sort of mechanism that might make them more attractive or so, and that will be useful to other European parties that might be struggling in attracting young voters. And then another aspect that maybe Spain doesn't advertise that well is the fact that they have been pioneering when it comes to some of the women representation laws. So for instance, and I think the, the Catalan case is the one that it, it might be worth checking if it is something you might be interested in, because they have approved several laws to protect women from harassment in different sides of society, So, but especially laws at the public administration. On the, even in, I think the Catalan law even included some aspects about political parties, so regulating also how harassment should be taken into account, regulated, or even how it should be punished. So I think it, it's interesting the efforts that they are making to try to improve women representation. One of them goes through the fact that an aspect to fight is the level of harassment that women in the public sphere experience because there has been legislation about the private sphere, a lot about women violence. But uh, I think what happens on the public sphere, it's now becoming more of an issue or more visible and more countries are starting to, to catch up, right? Because there are some studies that point out that one of the reasons of why women might decide not to pursue a political career is the level of harassment they suffer when in office or when running for elections. So I think Spain uh, started with Catalonia, but also now there is a law at the national level about protection. There is a law about parity, but it's also a law about how do we define uh, violence. Fantastic. Thank you very much for this insightful panorama of Spanish politics. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you for listening to the People Power Politics podcast brought to you by CEDAR, the Center for Elections, Democracy, Accountability and Representation at the University of Birmingham. To learn more about our center and the exciting work we do on these issues around the world, please follow us on Twitter at CEDAR underscore B-H-A-M and visit our website using the link in the podcast description.